welcome to Quaker Faith and Podcast, where we will explore traditional Quaker beliefs and the variety of Quaker beliefs found today. Hi, and welcome to the first episode of Quaker Faith and Podcast. Our names are Mackenzie and Micah, and we're two Quakers in the D.C. area. So uh, I'm Mackenzie, and I live just north of D.C. I've been into Quakerism for the last seven years, I think, and I come from the background of having been originally a Catholic and then gone a while of just nothing at all, kind of just agnostic, kind of leaning atheist even. And um, then I found Quakers uh, around Thanksgiving 2009 and have uh, done some studying and sort of moved around and uh, oddly enough ended up back over to being Christian just of a rather different bent than I was when Catholic. My name is Micah, and uh, I'm also a Quaker here in the D.C. area. My story is I, I started out as a child in a friend's church out in Wichita, Kansas. From basically middle school through college, I wasn't religious. I wasn't involved in a congregation, um, although for some of that time I continued to identify as Quaker. But how I really came back into Quakerism was through a liberal Quaker meeting, um, also in Wichita, Kansas. Um, and uh, from there, uh, ended up going to seminary at Earlham School of Religion, um, ended up getting involved in conservative Quakers, um, and uh, at this point, I'm a part of a group called the Friends of Jesus Fellowship, um, which is a, a sort of a, a, a weird, a weird little uh, little part of the Religious Society of Friends um, that maybe I'll get a chance to talk about later on in this series. But really, really happy to talk about talk about Quakerism, talk about Jesus, and talk about how uh, we can be friends together. So we're making this podcast because we know there are many Quaker meetings, or what some of you might call churches, out there, uh, such as Micah said that he went to a friend's church, that's a Quaker church. Um, but there are so many that are so small that they just don't really have the resources to have religious education for both kids and adults every single week. They might only be able to handle running classes for kids and then leave the adults to self-study and say, hey, we have a library. Because there's uh, so many Quakers who are out there, probably actually the majority, at least in the US and certainly in Britain, were raised in some other religion or some other Christian denomination or with no religion at all, that means that the kids can end up getting a whole lot more Quaker religious education time than their parents get. Yeah, so what makes this even more complicated is that uh, even if there is solid religious education in a particular community, um, it rarely is going to encompass uh, sort of a, a full, what I would call maybe a full spectrum Quakerism, um, which which catches the the full richness of the tradition, and and that's because um, Quakerism. Uh, over the course of the centuries, Quakerism has been about around about 350 years now. Um, we've been we've been uh, torn apart by a, a number of schisms, and then also just sort of by a, gen- a general drifting apart. Um, and and different different parts of the Quaker world have sort of um, sided with different tendencies in American culture, or in the case of international friends, other other uh, national or international cultures. And so you've ended up with a situation where here in the United States, uh, there are sort of four broad tendencies or branches or, or offshoots of, of traditional Quakerism, um, which include uh, liberal Quakers, uh, conservative Quakers, which we're going to talk a bit more about today, um, evangelical Quakers, and um, sort of a hodgepodge group that, that's called Friends United Meeting, which includes a lot of different kind of Quakers. Um, but so there's this whole spectrum, and it's rare uh, that individuals who don't 
um, who don't uh, either go to seminary or do a lot of traveling among Quakers really get a broad a broad sense of what the tradition is about as a whole and is about at its roots. So we're hoping that um, through this podcast we can help provide a, a sense of that broadness and that depth and uh, how it all fits together in a coherent understanding of, of who God is, who Jesus is, and what it means for us to be in community together. Last year, I got a copy of a book that's called Traditional Quaker Christianity, and that's published by Ohio Yearly Meeting. Ohio Yearly Meeting is from that conservative branch Michael was just mentioning. Uh, and when we say conservative in terms of Quakers, what we mean is they're traditionalists. The conservative branch uh, is sort of seen as being middle-of-the-road Quakers. Um, so while some individuals at sort of opposite ends of the Quaker spectrum, if you want to think of it that way, might be ready to, as Quaker blogger Brandon Baker put it, vote off Quaker Island, people who are on the other end of the spectrum, I kind of have the impression that everybody pretty much agrees that conservatives are in. So that's what makes a book written from their perspective an ideal starting point for discussion. Um, you know, sometimes one of the two of us might disagree with something that we see in the book or one of the guests we have on at some point might disagree, but it at least gives us a good centering point of reference to move from. So we're going to use this book as sort of a curriculum for the podcast. Uh, if you want to get a copy, you know, they're available online. Um, it's set up so that each topic has some rec recommended readings. So that might be um, something written by Quakers 350 years ago, or it might be something from the Bible, or something written relatively recently. And then gives a couple of pages of explanation and a set of discussion questions. So we're going to be going through the book one topic per episode, and give a little summary and then talk about it. Um, so without further ado, one with a very heavy title, Section 1A, Jesus Christ is the Word of God. I have to say, uh, this this is a really exciting section for me uh, because, and and I, and I know I know that's why uh, friends in Ohio really mean put this first uh, is that is that G, who Jesus is and his relationship uh, with the Bible is f foundational uh, to the Quaker movement um, in the early in the early Quaker movement and so Quakers got started in the you know, 1640s 1650s um, and during that time period. Um, there were a lot of issues. There were a lot of stands that different religious groups were taking. Um, but the heart of it all, from the perspective of the early Quakers, was who is Jesus and what is the Bible? And so for a lot of Christians uh, then and now, um, the Bible is considered the Word of God. And what that actually means is pretty nebulous, and it means different things for different groups. Um, but what it is often meant traditionally is that the Bible is the ultimate source of truth, and that when we want to know God, when we want to know how we're supposed to be as human beings, when we want to understand what God's will is for us and how we act in it, the, it the, this, this more mainstream Christian view is that you go to the Bible and you uh, use the Bible to find the right way to go. You use the Bible to find the rules, uh, to find the commandments, to find uh, the path. And the radical uh, assertion of the early Quaker movement was that the Bible is only sort of a vestment of Jesus, is only a vestment of the Word of God, but that Jesus himself um, is the Word of God, and that the only way to be in relationship with God, the only way to know God, is to know Jesus himself. And that the Bible, while very useful and very precious, is not sufficient uh, as a rule of life, that we need to know Jesus and we need to follow him. And then, in fact, um, you can know the Bible very well. You can be very proficient in it and have a great analysis of it and miss the mark and never actually meet Jesus. 
Yeah, actually, um, what you just said about that you can know the Bible really well and miss the mark, that actually just reminded me of Margaret Fell, um, who, she was an early Quaker. She was kind of like this huge major organizer for the early Quaker movement. And the moment when she was convinced of Quakerism, she um, started crying and saying, uh, and I'm going, I, I might not get the quote quite right, but you know, we're all thieves, we're all thieves. We've taken the scriptures in and know nothing of them in ourselves. Yeah. The, 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 the early Quaker focus uh, was on, uh, because you see, the early, the early Quakers and, and, and generally Christians in general in their time were steeped in the Bible. People heard the Bible all the time being read in public places. I mean, you know, there was no TV. And so the main form of entertainment and public assembly was religious gatherings, typically in, in, in state-run uh, meeting houses uh, where the, the, the state-run clergy would come and present sermons um, that would use biblical language and would lay out the Bible. Um, and, 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 and the printing press had just been invented. And so the, the Bible itself was getting into the hands of the people and everyone was reading it. What the Quakers were seeing was that um, with all this knowledge of the Bible, um, it, was, it was still being used to basically prop up human arguments and human ambitions. So, I mean, an example I would give is, um, you know, we just got a new president here in the United States, and one of the things he did during his first um, few days in office was he went and uh, actually he went to two different um, prayer services, one at St. John's Episcopal uh, near the White House the morning of his inauguration, and the other a day later at the National Cathedral. And these were places where uh, the new president uh, sort of shrouded his own uh, presidency in the language of religion, but uh, in a way where, you know, I personally would argue that uh, his words and his policies and his principles have nothing to do with the person of Jesus and with true Christianity. And so the early Quakers were seeing that too. They were seeing all these different causes from, from the king to the new parliament uh, to different radical groups to people who wanted to fight, to fight wars among each other, using biblical language and using the, even the words of Jesus to say things that Jesus uh, it has nothing to do with. Kind of gets almost a little bit into the whole, um, there's this uh, thing called two kingdoms theology where there's you know there's a bit in the bible where jesus says my kingdom is not of this world and a lot of times when you see uh kingdoms that are part of this world which okay a lot of a lot of things are, don't have kingdoms anymore now we have republics in a lot of cases but still when you see governments trying to use jesus then it's sort of suspect <laughs> To, to sort of direct us back uh, to the original, to uh, sort of what's the original prompt, which is uh, Jesus is the word of God. Um, and of course, when, you, when, when Quakers say Jesus is the word of God, um, the understanding is as opposed to the Bible, that, Bible, that the Bible is ultimately a, a, secondary, a secondary source of information about Jesus. Right. But the best source of information about him, the best, the best way to be in a relationship with him is to know him himself. And that, that presupposes that we can actually know Jesus, that, that we don't, we're, not, we're not doing historical investigation into who Jesus was, but in fact, we are in a relationship with who Jesus is and that he is alive. So at the heart of the Quaker, at the, of the Quaker understanding Christianity is uh, an experience of the resurrection as a reality. You know, I haven't really thought of it that way before, but um, I do think it's important to point out that for a lot of people who have had difficulties in the past where some past experience, maybe with another faith community, has left them feeling um, 
like they have a lot of trouble connecting with Christian language, there does end up being a significant contingent of people for whom I think that uh, they wouldn't say that what's going on with them in Quakerism is necessarily about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ so much as it is connecting directly with the divine. And they might even use that more universalist language of the divine instead of saying Jesus' name. And, you know, that's that's a part of a spiritual journey. Yeah, that, that, that that's a fact. There's, there's a lot of, you know, as McKenzie... My 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 job my job is to preach Jesus and Mackenzie knew that inviting me on here but Mackenzie's going to keep reminding us of the of the broadness the broadness of the Quaker community um, particularly uh, some some of the the broadness of the Quaker community that she's a part of where there's a range of theological understandings um, but but the the source of all that was was the the early Quaker the early Quaker experience that. Um, all these different groups were were using uh, the Bible as the Word of God, which which to them often meant a a a, a legalistic rule book that they could point to to justify their own attitudes and actions. And and uh, the Quakers uh, discovered that the the person who wrote the Bible was able to speak to them directly right now. Right, and I think we still have that a lot today with um, because something that has come up in Christianity that is a change since the days of early Quakerism is that nowadays we have what's called biblical literalism as a movement in Christianity and that wasn't really a thing yet that got started in I think the 1800s if I'm remembering right yeah and so that's saying well you know we just read the Bible completely literally um no it's not metaphor etc and that's really different from how Quakers uh read the Bible understand it and understand how uh, we're supposed to interact with the divine. Yeah, one of the hallmarks of Quakerism is uh, viewing the Bible um, as being multi-layered. That, that we're not we're not dealing simply with like a, a one-dimensional text, but that it's more like an onion. Ogres are like onions. That's right. Um, <laughs> that's right. And I think and I think a misunderstanding when we're talking again about the the differences between branches. Um, I think a misunderstanding or, or or a differentiation that happens in modern Quakerism. Uh, is that uh, lots of different Quaker groups or Quaker traditions want to say this layer of the onion, this is where it's at, and so like maybe some of our more evangelical traditions would say, well, it's you know it's 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 the literal it's the literal truth of 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 what happened. So for example. Um, to go to a place that that causes all sorts of schisms constantly throughout history and in the present day <laughs> to talk about the atonement um, when when when, right. when, we, when we look at when we look at Jesus's death on the cross uh, the the there's a tendency and this is just one area where we can do this um, but you can do it with any part of the Bible there's a tendency to say well Jesus Jesus historically died on the cross and that and that was that had a special saving power for us today and say it's about the historical event okay so that's what, which so, by the way uh, episode 3 is going to actually be talking about the atonement uh, more in particular awesome. But so, but so, but so, so in a, in a sense, that's right, right? That's like that's one layer of the onion. One layer of the onion is, in fact, Jesus historically died on the cross, and his, and his death had meaning, and it it had power, and it continues to have power in our lives. Um, and then there's another layer of the onion, which is, um, you know, you can think about it from like a, a, a sociological perspective, of like, well, what did it mean for the people around him, um, and and what meaning did it have in their lives right then uh, to see to see that happen? You can think about it from 
from an intellectual perspective. You can think about it uh, from a, a devotional perspective. Uh, what does this mean in my own life that Jesus died in this way, um, and what effect does that have on me personally? There, there are so many. There's so many ways that you can that you can unpeel this onion and find that each one has depth and value and meaning. But the tragedy of the Quaker tradition, and probably of almost any Christian tradition uh, or tradition at all, is that you there tends to be a fixation on one layer of the onion and saying this is this one layer whether it's saying it's the spiritual experience it's the historical event it's this it's that whatever that thing is taking that and idolizing it and saying this is the one thing and so to bring it back to the word of god the genius of the early quaker movement and the heart of the quaker tradition is to say the one thing the one thing is jesus alive and resurrected and present in our lives. Do we want to try actually looking at the discussion questions that are in the book, just since we claimed we were going to do that? <laughs> we, we, you know, we should probably do that to, to actually engage, engage with this text. So the first question it says is, there are millions of people in the world who claim a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and there are many possible meanings for that phrase. So how did George Fox understand his relationship with Jesus Christ? And uh, since one of yeah, the foundational uh, phrases we have in Quakerism is from a, uh, a vision Fox had uh, where he hears a voice that says, there is one, even Christ Jesus, that can speak to your condition. Um, and this is while Fox has been going around trying to find um, someone who could answer his theological questions. That's, uh, in, in that instance at least, of talking about the teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, George Fox, um, a lot of historians have referred to him as a spiritual genius or a religious genius in the sense that he had a very, he, he, had, a, he had a breakthrough, a breakthrough that, um, that, that, that he and then the Quaker movement as a whole <clears throat> brought <clears throat> a, unique, a unique perspective into the Christian tradition. And this, and, and this in that time and place was, was the experience that just like the early disciples, uh, if you read in the Bible, if you read in the, in, 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 in the Gospels, if you read in the book of Acts, um, the early disciples, uh, for them, Jesus wasn't a metaphor. Um, Jesus was a literal, uh, a, a literal present reality in their lives. He appeared to them. He spoke to them. He guided them. He directed them, um, Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And um, for, for the early Quaker movement, that, their experience was the same. They they had in, they had not they had not simply read about Jesus in the book and then decided to follow him. They had met him. They had had a living experience of him, and they continued to. And that's that's ultimately what they felt was guiding their 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 assemblies. And actually, you just reminded me that of course Christianity was an oral tradition for the first few hundred years. So the second question that they have in the book is: Does the traditional Quaker understanding of the Word of God surprise you, and how so? And I'm going to go with no in my case because I like to joke that when it says in the Bible there that the word was made flesh, I'm pretty sure they weren't talking about the calf skin parchment that they pricked the Bibles on. Yeah. Uh, just, just as a side note, um, to, get, to, get, to go back to sort of the biblical text itself, um, when I've, I, I've been very interested in this question for a long time because as I've said repeatedly, I think in this, in this show, um, I view this question of what, who is the Word of God, what is the Word of God, as the central question, really, of Christianity when it comes down to it. And so I've done a lot of looking in the Bible to see what does the Bible itself say about the Word of God. And I think a part of the confusion 
um, in the Christian tradition because there's there's strong disagreement, and most Christians would say the Bible is the Word of God. Like that's just sort of taken for granted. Um, I think I think the heart of this confusion and something that we Quakers should pay attention to because it is there in the text is that the Bible really talks about the Word of God in two ways, and it's talking about two different things. Um, the Bible, the Bible. When I read through the New Testament, in particular, I won't try to opine about the Old Testament because I'm 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 more of a New Testament scholar than an Old Testament scholar. Yeah, I haven't actually read through the whole Old Testament, only the New Testament. <laughs> there, there's always more reading to do. But but when I but when I when I when I've looked through very at very detailed way of like how is the Word of God being used, um, and, and sometimes just the Word. Um, you know, for example, there there are many places throughout both Old and New Testaments where they say. Um, you know, they preached the word, um, or they spoke the word. Um, word is tends to be used in, in two ways. Um, and by the way, uh, the, the particular Greek word, there's more than one word for, for word for word in Greek, but I was particularly focusing on the word logos, which is, which is for example, um, in the book of John, uh, at the very beginning, it says, uh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's that the word they're using there is logos. But the word logos is also used to refer to the spoken um, the spoken proclamation uh, of God's message, and so there is there is some ambiguity. I think as a Quaker, as as someone who you know, I have a, I have a fairly strong investment in a particular interpretation of Jesus as the Word of God. There is scriptural foundation to say that the proclamation of God's message is also the Word, and so I, I think I think we have to take that seriously as Quakers. Um, that Jesus is the Word of God. Um, and the word of God is also continuing to be proclaimed. And so in, in that sense, I see how much of the Christian church has gotten to a place of saying that the Bible is the word of God. Because the Bible is, as, as uh, Christians generally hold and as Quakers generally hold, um, the Bible is a collection of inspired messages from God given through the Christian community. And so in that sense... In that sense, I have to con- I have to confess that in that sense, the Bible is the Word of God. It is an inspired message uh, proclaimed about uh, about Jesus through the church. And in that sense, uh, God has God has spoken through it, and God continues to speak to us through it uh, through the Holy Spirit. He, God uses it in that way, um, and so there is that ambiguity. Um, but I think something that's very important for Quakers uh, in that understanding of the Word of God as being the proclamation, and I think is very deep in the Quaker tradition, is that uh, Quakers have a sense of the Word of God as being alive and fresh and re-spoken through us all the time. And that's the basis for our meetings for worship, that um, in, 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 in most Quaker meetings, um, there is at least a time where there can be a spoken ministry that is not that is not pre-planned necessarily, or if it is, there you know there's a lot of prayer that goes into prepared sermons too. But there's a deep there's a deep sense in the Quaker tradition that God is still speaking. I think there was a hashtag that was like explain your your faith in four words, and the Quaker answer was God is still speaking, and that Jesus is still present, and that we can speak those words, and that when we do, um, it's really scary when you think about it. this. Is one of the scariest things about about Quakerism to me when I when I got into it was the 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 idea and the experience and the understanding that when I speak in meeting for worship, if I'm being faithful. God is literally speaking through me. And in that sense, I am, I am preaching the word of God. Yeah, I think that's really important to keep in mind um, when speaking in meeting is that you're supposed to only be speaking what's coming to you from God and so, or from the divine or, you know, whatever. Um, but 
that it's not supposed to be your own ego. And so that's one of the thing, one of the questions that's on the little charts that are like, how to tell when to speak in meeting. And it's actually reminding me right now of something that Margaret Fell tells us George Fox once preached, um, where he said, you will say, Christ saith this and the apostles say this, but what canst thou say? Uh, art thou a child of the light and hast thou walked in the light and what thou speakest, is it inwardly from God? And, you know, so he's saying, okay, yeah, yeah, you can recite what it says in the Bible, but what's your experience and, and the things that you're saying, are those coming from God or, or is that just, you know, your own ego wanting to talk? Uh, so there's actually one question left for this chapter that says, experience tends to be valued because it seems undeniable, yet over time we often come to deeper or different understandings of prior experiences. How do you evaluate your personal experiences? Hmm. Which is an interesting one. Um, <laughs> yeah. And take some thought, I think. How would you answer that? If you look at my history with uh, spirituality and like how you can sort of, as I was saying, come to new understandings or reinterpret something. You know, when I first found Quakerism, um, at that point I was generally just kind of agnostic, um, not too sure about the whole God thing. And the uh, meeting that I went to was a very liberal Quaker meeting. Um, where you don't really hear a whole lot of talk about Jesus or God um, and more of talking about spirit or the divine. And, you know, at that time, that was like the closest I was getting to spirituality, right? Um, it wouldn't have worked for me to try to like show up to a like super evangelical Baptist church or something because that would have felt like way too much pressure. And so it was a really good low pressure environment for me to sort of explore spirituality. And while I was there, somebody asked me, well, how do you feel about the fact that Quakerism has these Christian roots? And I said, well, you know, I don't have any problem with Jesus. Like, I, I really like the stuff Jesus says in the Bible. It's just, I'm not so sure about God. Like, you know, this like dude on a cloud and it was very Sistine Chapel kind of, uh, thing or or Zeus, right? Um, but now, like in hindsight, and you know, it wasn't just me, but it was actually I, I was talking to a woman and I told her this, and she said that that environment, you know, that God was providing that environment as a way to get to me and to nurture me into the spirit, um, because that's that's the environment some people need. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, in in terms of uh, the question of how how we how we can know whether our experience is is true or valid or leading us in the right direction or what in whatever sense we need to relate to our experience. Um, for for me, experience was definitely. I mean, and when I say experience, I mean sort of uh, what some what some uh, people would call peak experience or a mystical experience or an ecstatic religious experience, whatever you'd want to call it. Um, that kind of experience was at, at the core of why I became a Quaker and why, why I became a Christian. Um, so that that for me, that, that sort of raw felt experience of God's presence was the cornerstone for me. Um, and as time has gone on, <clears throat> I have uh, become more skeptical of experience in terms of in terms of it at, it is being a stand a standalone source of truth, um, and I've really come to value uh, you know the Bible uh, as as a very important um, check on my understanding the community and the tradition uh, both the Quaker tradition and the broader Christian tradition um, I, I value them as sort of giving me a reality check um, mm -hmm. and and just uh, 
community, uh, just the people around me, and, and, and hopefully surrounding myself with, with good, loving people that I can trust to, to sort of, you know, uh, if you've ever, if you were really bold as a kid or, or were really bad at bowling as an adult and did bumper bowling, yes. I, sort of, I, I, sort, I sort of feel like, I sort of feel like the Bible, uh, the Bible, is, the Bible, the community, the tradition, these things are sort of like the bumpers for your experience because your experience can sort of fly all over the place. And, and you know, to be totally honest, some, 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 day, some days I'm a totally committed Christian. Other days I feel like an atheist. Um, <laughs> and and the, the, the bumpers of the community, the tradition, the Bible, uh, these are what help, help keep me grounded amidst the, the storms of personal experience. Um, so I would say, yeah, like the, 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 the longer I'm in this, the, I'm in this path, the more I value um, the whole, the whole uh, spectrum of resources that we have uh, to inform our experience uh, and, 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 and help, help keep us, uh, help keep me uh, more, more balanced and more even keeled and hopefully uh, more faithful as, as, as I try to be a friend of Jesus. Yeah, I, I like that topic of uh, the role of the community and how community factors into like almost spiritual authority. Because I know I really, I read something that really tweaks me because it was talking about the pastor's authority and submitting to your pastor like uh um and the i expressed this to the author who was like but somebody has to have authority and i'm like yeah but you don't one person uh so that could be an interesting topic for some later discussion i suspect there's probably something in that book where we're gonna hit on that later yeah i was about to say i'd be really surprised if that didn't come up i think we've probably nattered on long enough uh Ho- hopefully hopefully this was interesting for at least one or two listeners out there Well, that's time. We will see you back in two weeks, where our next topic will be God's Old and New Covenants with Humanity. You can find us on the web at quakerpodcast.org, on Twitter as Quaker Faith, on Facebook, and on iTunes. 